Hello, everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a monthly podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. This is Kevin Drulli, Associate Editor at Safety and Health. And with me, as always, are my fellow Associate Editors, Alan Ferguson and Barry Botino. Hello, fellas. Hello. This is our February 2023 episode, number 36 in the history of our podcast, and number XXXVI in the history of our podcast in Roman numerals, this being Super Bowl month and all. Wherever or however you're listening today, we thank you for spending some time with us. It certainly is appreciated. We know that many of you have had a unique journey into the safety profession, and we want to hear more about it for our My Story feature in our magazine. Submit your personal stories about how you got into the safety field by emailing us at safehealth at nsc.org. You can view past My Story entries and catch up on other news from around the safety world on our website, safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this month's episode, Barry will take us on a deep dive into his feature story on staying safe in the cold, which offers multiple tips to safety professionals and workers who are encountering the elements while on the job. We also will be joined by Mike Kassman, a CSP and Construction Health and Safety Technician who serves as Director of OSHA and Disaster Response Training at CPWR, the Center for Construction Research and Training. We'll be discussing ladder safety with Mike in the latest installment of our Five Questions With segment. And the three of us, as always, will also share lessons learned in our What Did We Learn segment. Is everyone ready to begin? Let's do this. Each month here on On the Safe Side, we take a look at a feature story from the latest issue of Safety and Health Magazine, which we call our Deep Dive segment. In the February issue, Barry has some tips about working safely in cold weather, a pertinent topic at this time of year. Barry, will you grab your snorkel and take us on this latest deep dive? Sure thing, Alan. Thank you very much for the intro. Uh, As most of the country is feeling right now, when you walk outside, it's pretty cold out there. Uh, And those weather conditions, uh, whether you're in St. Cloud, Minnesota or Tulsa, Oklahoma, they can have an impact on how workers do their jobs. Outdoor workers at this time of year are trying to do a job with an additional hurdle thrown at them, which is the weather. And that's what our story touches on, the cold weather hazards at this time of the year. Uh, Cold stress injuries and illnesses happen when our skin temperature and eventually our core body temperature falls, and the body can no longer maintain those temperatures at a healthy level. In some cases, this could result in things like hypothermia, frostbite, disorientation, and even in severe cases lead to coma and death. Perhaps the most impactful comment I got was from James Mulligan, who is the OSHA director for the Boston South Area office. And he said that cold is just plain distracting to workers. Uh, He said it's very difficult to focus on not just the work at hand, but their own personal safety when it's so cold that workers are shivering. And in many places around the country, he said the weather makes it so that workers focused can shift from their work to how cold their hands are or how cold their feet are throughout a given day. And Mulligan has some personal experience. He started his career as a plumber on some large construction sites before he joined OSHA. And he said that your mindset changes when you're working outdoors in the winter. And his example was working in a large open building with 40 mile an hour winds coming off the Charles River in Boston. So for workers who have to be outdoors at this time of year, how important is the right clothing? Yeah, Kevin, I'm glad you brought that up. The the clothing is probably the the most important line of defense, obviously. And NIOSH says that loose-fitting and layered clothing offers really good insulation. Uh, Tight clothing, on the other hand, that can reduce blood circulation, 
uh, which is especially important in the winter months and especially important when we're talking about proper blood flows to the extremities like our hands and our feet, uh, which tend to get colder quicker. Um, another big advance is in moisture wicking clothing. And there are several popular brands of this type of clothing, which you've seen worn by athletes in various sports on TV uh, every weekend. And, and also any department store you go into these days often will have kind of its own house brand of those moisture wicking shirts and other clothing options. Now, Mulligan said when he was a plumber two plus decades ago, he had no idea what moisture wicking clothing was. Yet today, even his 11 year old son knows the importance of keeping moisture away from your body by wearing these garments. And keeping that moisture away from your body is imperative. If your body gets wet during cold temperatures, it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, your body temperature will go down much faster than if it was dry. An example that the Mayo Clinic gives is that you can get colder when you're caught in the rain and your clothes get soaked. If you do get wet, especially in the wintertime, it's important for workers to change out of those clothes immediately and into some dry clothes. And workers should make sure they carry extra cold weather gear at all times, uh, including gloves, uh, socks, hats, a full change of clothes, and some blankets to keep cold stress at bay. And uh, Mulligan said his late father gave him some great advice from his military service in the 1950s. And the elder Mulligan would tell his son, put a hat on your head and keep your feet dry. And that's excellent advice because studies say we lose about 10% of our body's heat through our head. So investing in a winter cap, a balaclava, or a hard hat liner if you're working outside is really important. When it comes to those, those precious feet of ours, they can get cold quickly, as we know. So you can keep them warm and dry by wearing waterproof boots or heavy rubber overshoes. Now, this didn't make this story, but Mulligan said that workers are, are a community and they share what works for them with each other. Uh, they talk regularly and they protect each other, especially in, in conditions of the wintertime that we see in many places. And Mulligan brought up that a friend of his is the area director for OSHA in Bismarck, North Dakota. And he said, you know, can't imagine what it's like in Bismarck, North Dakota when it's really bad here in Boston, too, that, you know, there, there are some definite extremes that workers are in in the wintertime. And what Mulligan said was that he learned from outdoor workers about hoodies with heating elements inside of them. And you can charge them overnight. He said that workers who wear them keep a spare pair of gloves in the pockets of the hoodies. When your hands get cold or they get wet, voila, they pull out the heated pair of gloves and put those on. So Barry, what are some other strategies for outdoor workers to stay safe in the cold? Well, Alan, the OSHA's website discusses a, a three-word strategy, and that's simply plan, equip, and train. First things first, you got to check the weather each morning or even the night before and plan the clothes that you'll need to stay safe and warm, uh, whether that's via a weather app, whether that's via, via watching your morning news. Either way, you're checking the weather is a positive thing. Uh, for employers, checking the weather can allow them to plan the work that will be done that day. Employers can equip workers with plenty of helpful tools and, and enact some engineering controls as well. And these can include using radiant heaters, uh, shielding work areas from wind and drafts, and having warm locations for workers to take a break from the weather conditions. And as far as training goes, employers should train their workers on recognizing and acting on the symptoms of cold stress, which can include self-monitoring and also keeping an eye on those around you. Work can also be moved out of the elements on days that are especially cold. Mulligan mentioned that you know our, our bodies are just aren't built to work in zero degrees. And he said, a good question for an employer to ask 
is do I need this work today when there are 40 mile an hour winds or can I postpone it a couple of days? Well, thank you so much once again, Barry, for your work on this story. If you want to read more about this or other topics, as well as news from around the safety world, please check out the February issue of Safety and Health Magazine or visit safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Every safety professional has a unique story. So what's yours? Safety and Health Magazine wants to hear about your unique path into the occupational health and safety field for our My Story column. Start the year off right by sending your submission to safehealth at nsc.org and share the road you've traveled in your career journey of keeping workers safe and healthy. As many of our listeners know, falls are the leading cause of deaths and injuries annually in the construction industry. Ladders are among the main concerns when talking about falls. According to CPWR, the Center for Construction Research and Training, more than 70 deaths and 4,000 injuries that require missed time at work occur with ladders in construction. With us this month to talk about this issue and with National Ladder Safety Month approaching in March is Mike Kasman, CPWR's Director of OSHA and Disaster Response Training. Mike, thank you so much for joining us on the safe side. Yeah, thank you for um, having me. So our first question, before using a ladder, how should it be inspected and why? Well, one of the main things is why, why you should inspect the ladders because those are the most common um, uh, reasons why people are injured on the job. You know, um, you know using, a, using a ladder with missing rungs, bolts, cleats or screws or even rivets, and even um, you know other things like uh, say you're using an extension ladder. There's no rope included, or or the pulley system is not running freely. There's no stickers. It's it's uh, not legible. Uh, you know, I mean these things all go hand in hand because how do you even choose the right ladder for the task? So you really you know, inspection is um is uh, is like the first thing you want to do. What are some must to do to be sure you're safe when using ladders? Well, uh, they all uh, some of these rules kind of like comply to all ladders, but uh, you want to maintain a three-point contact, you know, uh, you know, at all times. You want to make sure that you maintain like what they call the bu- um, the buckle rule, where your your body is in, is in center of the of the two rails. Um, you know, you never want to you don't want to select the the right ladder for the job. Take a look at the job. You know, um, you know, take a walk around. I mean, what? What are you going to use the ladder for? Try to identify what the task is, um, what type of task that you're going to do. Um, what are you, uh, you know, what are you going to use as you're as you're using the ladder? Is it just for safe access, climbing up and down a roof landing level, or are you actually intending to work off the ladder? Um, you know, because you don't want to carry tools while you're going up on the ladder. Then you know, because that negates the three point climbing. Um, uh, you know, typically, if you're going to use a ladder to do a particular task, depending on the task, um, you know, say you're using a screwdriver, you want to carry a tool belt, you know, so you're not you're not carrying anything in your hand to maintain you know, because it's you know you want to maintain maintain that three point uh, contact. Um, other things to be considered um, as you're climbing up and down a ladder, make sure that uh, uh, you know you're, you're not looking away from from your climb. You're looking up, um, or you're looking in the center going downward uh, so you make sure you're, you know how you're, you're not going to be missing a, a rung for example um, if you're using it for safe access you want to make sure that the ladder extends at least three feet above the landing zone and it's uh, tied or anchored uh, 
And there's other things to consider. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's several different ratings um, of ladders. So you want to you know make sure that you select the ladder uh, proper properly for the task at hand, and um, you know it's it's properly for the uh, um, you know the load that that's going to be applied to it. So typically in the construction world, we're using um, you know there's five types out there, and we're using uh, three primarily, and it's type one. Um, which is heavy duty, uh, and they have a rating system of about 250 pounds. A type 1A is 300 pounds, and a type uh, 1AA, um, which is 375 pounds. And so, you, you know, you you know, before you even select the ladder, not only are you going to inspect it, um, um, but we kind of like walk the walk the area, walk you know, walk the job site, um, see if it, even if a ladder is necessary. I mean, maybe maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe you want to use an alternative such as. Uh, you know, mobile elevating work platform, uh, scissor lift, and or uh, maybe a cherry picker, that kind of thing. Um, you know, because, you know, I mean, there's always a risk uh, in using a ladder. So once it's determined that the ladder is the way to go, you know, uh, let's go back, you know, and choose the right ladder for the job. Um, like, again, I, typically we use either a type 1A <coughs> um, or, or double A, um, depending on the job, uh, you know. Uh, you know, everybody should be able to uh, be trained in, you know, the inspection goes, um, it goes a long way, uh, making sure that the labels are legible, okay, so they're not the face. I mean, if the labels are, are the face, you can call the manufacturer and get a new sticker on that ladder, but, you know, you, it's important to keep that, um, you know, make sure those, you know, all that thing is, is uh, maintained in a, in, in a legible format. You know, they'll, they'll send you new stickers if need be. Well, what happens if you find a defective ladder? Well, first of all, you don't want to use it. You want to remove it or tag it and remove it out of service to see if it can be repaired. Um, in some cases, it may, it may not be, be able to repair it, and you, you know, um, obviously get a new ladder. Mike, you mentioned some alternatives to ladders. Um, when you think about using a ladder on a job site, how do you know or not know if it's the right thing for the job, right equipment for the job? First of all, I want to identify the task. What's a task? What am I doing? Is it a, is it a quick five minute job on a ladder? You know, or I mean, is I mean, uh, am I trying to install something? Is that um, is that item that I'm trying to install? Is that is it a heavy object? You know, I mean, it's not something that'd be safe to be carrying up. You know, you, you're not supposed to carry anything up a ladder, but, um, you know, is, is it something that while I'm installing, it's pretty awkward, will lose my balance? You know, so it's just certain things. A ladder should be only used for like a quick, quick item, you know, um, you know, light, um, nothing, you know, I mean, like if you think about it, the days of carrying up a bundle of shingles for a roofer are, are gone. You know, people are not doing that now. You you know, we've learned a long way. I mean, that's a that's an added weight that you know a person can easily lose um, lose their balance if they were to do that. You know, um, that's just I'm just giving you an example. But um, you want to look at the task, and then of course you want to look at the terrain. I mean, is a is the area in which you plan on using the ladder is it leveled? You know, is there is there some extra you know um, preparation you have to do in order to um, utilize the ladder, or set it up? You know, uh, when you set up a ladder, you want to make sure that it's, you know, one quarter of the distance of its height. You know, um, uh, is there, I mean, can you do that there? Um, you know, maybe you have to, if it's, if you're, if you're setting up the ladder for a uh, safe access and you got some debris and what have you in the way, maybe that's that location that you identify either needs to be cleaned out or maybe that's not the safest location to uh, erect the ladder. 
But the alternatives, that's what I would do, is um, if depending on the number of moves I have to do with the ladders, you know, um, and if it's high enough um, where it's, it's going to be probably faster and safer for the worker, I would select a um, mobile elevating work platform if that's, uh, it all depends on the job. Like I said, I mean, they, they, they have other criteria when you select an alternative, you know, it, you know, the ground has to be leveled and that kind of thing as well. Um, but um, it, 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 depending on what your, what the, uh, the task is, it, it could be uh, the way to go. So, Mike, as we mentioned, falls are obviously a major concern with ladders. Uh, what are some other dangers for workers that they should be aware of? How about wind? Um, you know, uh, you know, that, you know, if it's that could that could add um, to the situation. How about electrical? Um, you never want to use a uh, you know a ladder in and around power lines. Um, you want to try to maintain that safe distance of at least ten or more feet. Um, you know, typically in most of these, um, you know, commercial jobs, you know, uh, the use of aluminum ladders, uh, you know, it's not high, it's not recommended at all because of that. Most contractors are using either a wooden ladder and or a fiberglass ladder. And actually, in some cases, the, the, you know, uh, the ladder of choice, um, you know, prime choice would be would be the fiberglass ladder because of the longevity of the ladder, you know, uh, you know, anti-corrosion uh, resistant and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so you know, those are other other kind of factors besides the wind and electrical. I mean, it could be unstable uh, ground, you know, um, where a ladder could um, you know slip out, slip away. So in some cases, you might have to tie not only the top of the ladder but um, barricade and uh, tie the bottom of the ladder so it doesn't kick out, you know, that kind of thing. And you know, maybe even put um, barricade uh, the bottom of the ladder to keep um, any traffic. Um, in and around, uh, you know, coming, coming close uh, to that bottom section. Mike, you mentioned a few a little bit ago, but what more can you say about extension ladders and any specific concerns that may be related to those? Are you, are you using this, the extension ladder um, properly? Okay. Is it, like I said, uh, you know, um, you know, one quarter of the distance in height, um, is it tall enough? I mean, is this exactly the, you know, because in a lot of cases people take chances where the ladder is really not tall enough. And, you know, they, they either overstretch. Okay. Uh, I've been, I, myself, I can tell you a personal story. I've been on many roofs over the years and there's some instances where the ladder wasn't long enough and I just took a gamble and got made it up and uh, made it up and uh, onto the roof. And I was fine, did the job. And then on the way down, it's like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't have used that ladder. Yeah, I mean, you know, fortunately, uh, nothing happened in my case, but these are, you know, people take a lot of chances and, you know, uh, you just, you just got to really think about it, you know, so uh, get the right ladder for the job, okay, if the ladder ain't tall enough, um, don't just take a chance like I just gave you a description, go and get the right, um, the right ladder for the job, uh, make sure it reaches at least three feet above the landing zone and it's tied. Um, you know, uh, if the ground is unleveled, um, it's not a it's not a, uh, a place where you want to just jury rig or I would say like prop up like the ladder with boxes or what have you to reach that height or, you know, use some type of other makeshift device to level that ground. Um, it's, you know, maybe maybe choose a, another location if that's possible. OK, um, you know, because, you know, uh, you start play around with the unstable base, um, it kind of just adds um, to the risk of an injury of a fall.
Well, thank you so much, Mike, for sharing your knowledge with us on this topic. If our listeners want to find ladder safety resources from CPWR, where can they go? Well, you can go right to our main website, cpwr.com, and, and right, uh, right on the website itself, it's got a search box and, and type in the word ladder. Um, you'll find some resources there to include um, hazard alert cards, um, which is a very good, um, you know, some of the products that CPWR has created. Another one-stop place would be called stopconstructionfalls.com. And when you get to that website and on top of that website, you'll see training resources. And by the way, there's a, you know, falls, um, falls stand down campaign, May 1st through the 5th this year, 2023, um, you know, where, where construction sites uh, take a few minutes across the country and um, they do a lot of toolbox talks and talking about uh, fall, preventing falls on the work site. Um, but anyway, on this, on this website, stop. Um, constructionfalls.com on the right hand side you'll see training resources and if you click on that there's just um, an abundant amount of resources available uh, to get the word out whether you're on roofs um, scaffolds ladders anything relating that potentially could be a uh, uh, risk of, of having falls thank you once again mike we appreciate you being with us this month on the safe side yeah no problem thank you for having me and i appreciate it thank you As we approach the end of this episode, it's about that time to discuss what we've learned in the past month, whether on the job or off, and to get things started. Um, speaking of CPWR, the Center for Construction Research and Training, uh, they put out an, a very interesting report uh, kind of examining the nearly 225,000 worker deaths in construction in 2020. And of those deaths, 60% were at least 65 years old. And, and and they got this through the National Vital Statistics System, um, included all causes of death for construction workers, employed, retired, or no longer working from all but three states, Arizona, North Carolina, Rhode Island, and the District of Columbia. And, and the leading cause of death in this report um, varied by age group. Uh, for workers 16 to 34, the leading cause was poisoning or exposure to narcotics or hallucinogens. And for those 35 and older, COVID-19 was the leading cause of death, um, and that included nearly 15,000 workers 65 or older, and another 8,700 workers at least 65 years old died of heart disease. Um, what about you, Barry? Well, Alan, the one thing I learned this month was going back to my uh, cold weather hazard story, and, and James Mulligan, who is from OSHA's uh, Boston South area office, he made an interesting uh, note about uh, workers working together. And he said, you know, always, always treated the job site like a team, like it was a hockey team, a, a football team, a baseball team, a soccer team. And in that regard, look out for each other in difficult circumstances. Uh, and when it gets to cold weather, look out for each other in those circumstances as well. Um, you know, share advice or, or share you know, clothing, for example, uh, with fellow workers who may need a hand and, and look out for them and, and when it comes to symptoms of cold stress injuries. Um, Kevin, how about you? Well, I'll stick briefly with, with cold and it's, it's as pertains to um, chemical safety, something that we had recently published online vis-a-vis um, -vis the Chemical Safety Board reminding facility operators about process safety management uh, best practices as pertains to the winter and cold, just the idea that uh, freezing and expansion of water can crack or break pipes. It can damage equipment or even lead to the, the failure of the, the machines and, and instruments and processes there on site. So 
they had published a few best practices and recommendations for winterization. And some of those dovetail with a lot of things that we cover and, and, and the safety professionals know about establishing a former, excuse me, a formal and, and written protection program in this case for freezing, but just also things like surveying piping systems for dead legs, which are, are sections that have no flow. Um, also some recommendations were just to identify and address the risk of the freeze related hazards to piping and process equipment. And also, again, making a winterization checklist just to make sure that the plant and process systems are ready for cold weather, especially if it might be in a part of the country. And we've experienced some of that within suburban Chicago where it might be cold one minute and then out of the blue in the 40s or 50s one one day and then back to cold. So just really being on top of that. And then lastly, been briefly hearkening back to our intro, I also learned that um, the NFL did not use the Roman numeral for the Super Bowl until Super Bowl V or V, and then went and retroactively added those to the first four Super Bowls. And I, I suppose, um, and I imagine that Barry remembers it well because his favorite team won it, but for Super Bowl 50 a few years ago, that ordinarily would be Super Bowl L, but the, the powers that be did not like the way the L looked on its own, so they just used the Arabic 50 that year. Is there something important that you learned this month? Share it with us via email at safehealthatnsc.org. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this month's episode. We know that your time is valuable, and we appreciate you spending some of it with the three of us. If you'd like to share some feedback, please email us at safehealth.nsc.org. We'd also appreciate you rating and reviewing this podcast. To find stories such as Barry's feature on working in the cold and all of the latest news from around the safety world, visit us online at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. And make sure you follow us on your favorite social media channel as well. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Original music for this podcast was composed by Steve Maslin. Thank you so much, Steve. Also want to send big thank yous to our NSC colleagues, Ryan Gruntish, Amy Bellinger, Debbie Meyer, Paul Walensky, Karen Lord, Melissa Ruminski, and Jennifer Yario. We'll be back next month to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile a little. In the meantime, please stay on the safe side. <music>